This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I've got an episode that, shockingly, I have not covered yet. I do not know how it's gone this long, but my amazing research intern, Anya, sent me a list of topics, and I was like, holy moly, can't believe we have done that one. Let's go for it. Little side note, if you hear some banging in the background, I'm tr- I'm in the quietest part of my house right now, but we have people here redoing our deck. So it may be a little loud. There's really not much I can do about it because this whole week they're here. So I really apologize that it may not be the sound quality I normally have. You may hear some background noise, but you won't next week. So <laughs> it'll just be for this week. Also, I'm really excited for my new deck. It's going to be screened in. I love a screened in porch. Feels like another room. You can stay out when it's raining. Really hype about it. Just saying. All right, well, let's get started. First up is our In the News segment. Big news story of the past seven days. This is from People.com, and it says the Ukrainian flags adorn the Kennedy family compound as Carrie welcomes nation's former first lady. And I saw this on Instagram because Carrie Kennedy posted it, and I thought it was really neat. So go check out the pictures on her Instagram if you are interested in seeing those. Next up is our inspiring clip of the week. One of the inspiring notes. This week, I'm inserting JFK's speech to UN General Assembly on September 20th, 1963. Take a listen. The task of building the peace lies with the leaders of every nation, large and small. For the great powers have no monopoly on conflict or ambition. The Cold War is not the only expression of tension in this world, and the nuclear race is not the only arms race. Even little wars are dangerous in a nuclear world. The long labor of peace is an undertaking for every nation. And in this effort, none of us can remain unaligned. To this goal, none can be uncommitted. The reduction of global tension must not be an excuse for the narrow pursuit of self-interest. If the Soviet Union and the United States, with all of their global interests and clashing commitments of ideology, and with nuclear weapons still aimed at each other today, can find areas of common interest and agreement, then surely other nations can do the same. Nations caught in regional conflicts, in racial issues, or in the death throes of old colonialism. Chronic disputes which divert precious resources from the needs of the people, or drain the energies of both sides serve the interests of no one. And the badge of responsibility in the modern world is a willingness to seek peaceful solutions. It is never too early to try, and it's never too late to talk. And it's high time that many disputes on the agenda of this assembly were taken off the debating schedule and placed on the negotiating table. And for our recommendation segment, of course, then we would uh, recommend it. 
This one just made total sense for this week. It is Why England Slept, written by John F. Kennedy. I will put a direct link to purchase in the description of this episode. Okay, let's get started with our episode about Why England Slept by JFK. This week's sources are JFK Library, History Central, New York Times, Britannica, The American Interest, AllThat'sInteresting.com, and HistoryNewsNetwork.org. Now, this won't be a super long one, but I thought it was an interesting thing that we definitely needed to cover because it's one of his very first projects, so I thought it was very necessary. So JFK actually studied government with a particular focus on international affairs when he was at Harvard University. And Why England Slept is actually a published version of his final year's thesis. Now, I never knew this, but Why England Slept was originally entitled, get this, Appeasement at Munich, the Inevitable Result of the Slowness and Conversion of the British Democracy from a Disarmament to a Rearmament Policy. That's a long title. I get why he had to shorten it for the book. So the reworked title of the publication is a direct reference to Winston Churchill's book While England Slept in 1938, which summarized Churchill's ardent opposition of Chamberlain's policy of appeasement. Now let's remember, too, that JFK really admired Winston Churchill, so it makes sense that he would kind of title it as an ode to this. So Why England Slept is a critical analysis of the British foreign policy of appeasement towards Nazi Germany, which lasted until war was declared on Germany by Britain and France. JFK actually sat in the gallery of the House of Commons when Chamberlain made this declaration to Parliament on September 3rd of 1939. Talk about witnessing some history there. And as many of us know, JFK spent nine months traveling through Europe, Asia, and the Middle East to collect information which would be valuable to this thesis. I mean, like, seriously, boots-on-the-ground research. He took advantage of his father's connections as U.S. ambassador to England, arranging meetings with diplomats, government officials, royal family members, and ordinary people in France, Czechoslovakia, Germany, Israel, Turkey, and the Soviet Union. And Joe Kennedy Sr.'s position as U.S. ambassador to the U.K. obviously provided JFK with access to source materials, including parliamentary debate transcripts, newspaper clippings, and government reports. These were actually sent over from the U.S. Embassy in London, where he had worked as his father's secretary for a short time. Now, I know this is not at all an opinion-based podcast. This is not necessarily my opinion. I obviously cannot have this episode without including a little more backstory into the notion that Joe Sr. was possibly a Nazi sympathizer. So don't come at me about this. This is out there. Let's remember, in 1934, Joe Sr. wrote that he was very pleased and gratified with Joe Kennedy Jr.'s observations of the German situation. And this was in response to his son's statement that the Nazi Party's dislike of the Jewish community was well-founded. That's a yikes. The German ambassador to Britain later wrote that Joe Sr. understood our Jewish policy completely. And then a colleague of Joe's at the British Embassy recorded that Joe once said, Individual Jews are all right, but as a race, they stink. I feel terrible even saying that out loud. That is horrific. Then Joe told the German ambassador to England that President Roosevelt had been influenced by Jewish people and that he simply misunderstood the ambitions and ideas of the Nazi regime. Joe attempted but failed to set up personal meetings with Adolf Hitler and the German ambassador to England told high-profile Nazis Joe Kennedy Sr. was Germany's best friend in London. Also, Joe Sr. supported Chamberlain's policy of appeasement and argued that the USA should pursue an isolationist foreign policy. Now, he believed that U.S. involvement in war against Germany would plunge the U.S. into a second Great Depression and British involvement would ruin the country. 
everything that I just gave you, the source material is all that's interesting at historynewsnetwork.org. There's a lot of research that proves that these things are probably true, and it's, if so, pretty terrible. Let's be honest. I mean, I don't even think that's opinion-based. That's horrific. Okay, picking back up with JFK, though. JFK's thesis wasn't rated particularly highly by his university professor, Professor Carl J. Friedrich, who graded the paper cum laude plus, which is actually the lowest university distinction. Now, I'd like to just take a second and say, I hated writing papers in school. Like, it was the bane of my existence. My major was marketing, so I didn't really have to write a lot. But I was one of those people that would, like, take the sentence. It would be like, the sky's blue, and I'd be like, on the... Day of Tuesday, the sky was a bright blue, just trying to stretch my word count. You know, I did a little better than that. That was just an example. So the thought of all of the research that JFK did and all everything that he did to put this thesis together and it be rated like that, I bet that was a bummer. Just saying, as a student, I'd be like, dang, really? You know? Anyway, Professor Friedrich stated that the thesis was too long, wordy, and repetitious. See, I never would have had that problem. My things were underwordy, needed to be more repetitious, and needed more pages. He criticized the title, and he pointed out a number of typographical errors. However, he said that Kennedy had demonstrated real interest throughout his writing. So that's good. Clearly he cared. So here's a summary of the arguments put forward by JFK throughout the thesis. The purpose of the appeasement was to buy Britain time to prepare for the war. Britain's response should not be pinned merely on Chamberlain, but also on Parliament, the public, the press and business, all of whom were scarred by the impact of World War I, and that Britain's unpreparedness reflects the short-term weaknesses of democracies against totalitarian systems in the run-up to war. Now, before its publication, Why England Slept was actually edited by a Kennedy family friend and journalist Arthur Crock, and then it was published by Wilfred Funk, Inc. in 1950. 80,000 copies were sold in the UK and USA, and JFK received $40,000 in royalties. Pretty good check. The royalties which were received from British sales were donated to support the reconstruction of Plymouth after it was bombed by the Luftwaffe, and the royalties which were received from American sales were used by JFK to buy a convertible car. He earned it after all that. I mean, come on. That's a lot of work. Get you a convertible. And I want to remind you, too, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we inserted a clip of Queen Elizabeth, and she actually mentions JFK writing Why England Slept. So go back and listen to that again if you would like to. Now here I'm going to insert a clip to end the episode, and this is JFK's first recorded interview in 1940 on KROCAM in Rochester, Minnesota, and it's him speaking about why England slept. And with that, we want you to, of the radio audience, to meet Mr. John F. Kennedy, who is known to his friends as Jack Kennedy. But first, before we get into questions about this much-discussed book, I'd like to ask a few questions about how our guest has spent some of his 23 years. Tell me, Mr. Kennedy, where did you go to school? Oh, I attended Harvard. I just finished there this June. And what are you studying at the present time? Well, I studied international relations there, and I plan to go on to law school for the next three years and study law at Yale University. And may I ask, what are your plans for the future? Well, I don't know exactly yet. I'd, I'm interested more or less in working sometime in my life for the government, but I haven't really decided as yet. Well, that's very interesting. And now a few questions that bear on the subject about... Uh, which you wrote in your book, Why England Slept. What is the book about? That, I think, would be the most appropriate question to ask you first. What is this book about, Mr. Kennedy? Well, this book is an attempt to analyze the, re the reasons for Britain's failure to rearm. It is perfectly evident to us now that they should have rearmed, 
but I've attempted to try to explain the reasons as they developed in England from around 1934-35 was the reason for their failing to rearm in the face of a rearming Germany. Well, now, a question that frequently is asked in this country is, how did the Germans ever get the jump on the British? Why didn't the British know what they were doing? Well, the truth is that Germany got a head start before the Allies grasped what she was about, not so much by the manufacture of actual implements of war as by laying a foundation for their manufacture. The German locomotive industry, for example, was assigned to the manufacture of tanks instead of rolling stock to the deteriorating German railways. Germany was shrewd in getting tooled up for aircraft production. It is apparent from the discussion that has been going on in America in the last two months that tools are the real bottleneck of aircraft production. They cannot be turned out in mass quantities, and they must be made by skilled workmen. Germany got the jump principally by getting everything ready for a large-scale output rather than by the actual output itself. There was considerable talk in Germany about a new cheap car that would make an automobile available for everyone in the Reich, but it was almost impossible to discover whether an automobile plant was being tooled to produce engines for the people's car or to produce engines for planes. When Germany, therefore, decided to start turning out planes by mass production, her task was easy. Britain, on the other hand, having judged Germany's future potentialities by her previous production, was caught completely unprepared. She had to go through the preliminary tooling-up period, which cost her nearly two years. And this handicap she's never been able to regain. But all the parties in this country are pledged to rearmament. Now, I wonder, is there any particular lesson that carries a lesson to us in this, an election year? Yes, I would say there was. In 1935, England also had its election year, and it was held in November like ours. At that time, the English leaders were becoming extremely concerned about German rearmament. But the British people were strongly pacifistic. None of them wanted arms. They felt that arms would be a step towards war. In order to win the election, not one of Britain's three major parties came out for rearmament. The result was British rearmament was postponed from the end of 1934 to the beginning of 1936. And this was fatal because this was the great year that Germany got her real start on Britain. In 1936, Baldwin, in trying to explain why he had not started on rearmament sooner, said, I quote, I cannot think of anything that would have made the loss of the election, from my point of view, more certain, end of quote. No American politician must be able to say that in 1941 about the people in this country. Well, from your study and observations, are there any particular lessons that you believe can apply to us? Yes, I should think there was. In the first place, since May, Britain has made extraordinary steps in rearming. Tank production has doubled. Ammunition production, in some cases, has quadrupled. The reason for this is that every group in England now has been willing to sacrifice its group interest to the national interest, labor, capital, the people, and the government. However, before May of 1940, they didn't, and it had a fatal result. The point is that unless the American people are willing to make their sacrifices now that England has made when the menace appeared overwhelming and when it was obvious they had to make them, unless we are willing to do so now, we can't build up rearmament. The simple reason that it takes three and four years to do it, if the people of this country wait until Hitler appears overwhelming, then they won't have rearmament. We must realize that we must always keep our armament equal to our commitment. We must realize that any bluff will be called. We cannot tell anyone to keep out of our hemisphere unless our armaments and the people behind these armaments are prepared to back up the command even to the ultimate point of going to war. If we had not been surrounded by oceans three and 5,000 miles wide, we ourselves might be caving in at some Munich of the Western world. 
To say that democracy has been awakened by the events of the last few weeks is not enough. Any person will awaken when the house is burning down. What we need is an armed guard that will wake up when the fire first starts, or better yet, one that will not permit a fire to start at all. It's the system that functions in the pinches that survives. Well, thank you, Mr. Kennedy. And uh, having read a synopsis of your book, uh, Why England Slept, and having read the tribute paid to it by Henry R. Lewis of the Life, Time, and Fortune magazine, I would think that perhaps there would be a future for you in that field. I wonder, as a parting question, do you plan to write another book? Well, as a matter of fact, I think, uh, I think I'm done. And so, again, I want to thank you very much for appearing on our program tonight. We've enjoyed having you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it very much myself. All right, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you learned something new. Send me thoughts about this episode. Send me if you've read it, because honestly, full transparency, I have not read Why England Slept. I think I need to. So if you've read it, send me any thoughts that you have on it, any thoughts on the episode. And uh, remember... I am learning alongside you. I know there's a lot that probably was not covered that you may think should be. I've only got a certain amount of time each week. And I hope that each episode of Kennedy Dynasty inspires you to go on and do your own research alongside as well and share it with me. I would love to see anything you find. If you like the podcast, rate it five stars and write a positive written review on Apple Podcasts. I've said it once. I've said it again five billion times. It helps me more than you guys know. Don't forget, too, we have a Patreon. If you want to help support the show with marketing, with equipment, with all the things that go into this show, it's not free to create. So if you want to help me out and help the show and you like it and you support Kennedy Dynasty, please consider becoming a patron. I would really appreciate that. I am headed to D.C. soon for a very exciting event that I'm excited to attend. So if you would like to follow along with me on my journey there, follow me at Kennedy Dynasty on Instagram. I'll be posting stories, and I'm sure I'll have posts and whatnot, too. And, uh, yeah, I would also just love for you to follow Instagram. I'm almost at 10K followers, and that's very exciting. And I want to get there really soon because the number is just, like, staring at me, and we're so close. And I don't know. I feel like that's a big, big number to hit. So I'm excited. I also think I've said excited a lot in the last few sentences. Disregard that. I guess it's just a very exciting time. Also, it's football time in Tennessee. Us Tennesseans know that that is a big deal. It's fall. It's in the air. If you're a fellow Tennessean, you know. And if you're a fellow Vols fan, you even more know that, man, it's here. I will give my all for Tennessee today. And yes, I know that the Vols, I'm just going to take a little segue. I know the Vols have their ups and downs, mostly downs. It's a roller coaster fandom. I know it. I'm born and raised a Vols fan. Trust me. I've, I've felt it all. I know it's hard. But man, us volunteers, we just keep showing up. I will debate always that the Tennessee volunteer fandom is the best there is. When they form that tee on the field and Rocky Top starts playing at the opening game every season, I shed a tear. I'm, I don't know why I just admitted that. That's embarrassing. Okay, I'm going to go now. You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, 
the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.